everyone in the room and all those watching us on Instagram Live or listening to our podcast. Welcome. I'm Linda Yablonski, coming to you live from the Untitled Art Fair in Miami Beach, on the beach. And this is the last of three conversations today titled, What Can Art Do? Each uh, presented by her clique, Artists for a Good Cause. This week, her clique sale of commissioned artworks by women and non-binary artists will benefit Four Freedoms, a coalition of artists engaged in uh, civic and political action in the United States. And I'm pleased to say we have two of the founders of Four Freedoms here with us today. Uh, Hank Willis Thomas and Eric Gottesman, who I met two minutes ago. So <laughs> find out more about him in the course of this conversation. And also joining us is uh, Dara Friedman, uh, an artist who lives here in Miami. And the subject for this particular conversation is public art and its legacy. We got into this a little bit in the last conversation when we were talking about protest art and its lifespan and its potency beyond the moment of its making, which is a bit of what I want to get into with you. Both of you, Hank and Dara, have made numerous public artworks, uh, many of them here in Miami, uh, permanently. Uh, 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 Dara, since you live here, I'll give pride of place to you to begin. Um, you have a public piece uh, down at the marina. At the port. Yeah. In the port. Uh, one of the things I, I will ask all of you is, has to do with the commissioning of public art, which is different from an artwork you might make in the studio that comes from you, no, no prompting from anyone else, even no matter what the external issues are. Uh, so it's kind of uh, make art on demand and who's doing the demanding and uh, uh, how that affects not just the conception, but the execution and maintenance of the artwork, since it's permanently, as if anything can be permanent, especially in Miami, which is subject to submerge, uh, to being drowned at any moment, uh, and you're in the port. So tell us about the work and how it got there. Yeah, just first of all, speaking to that commissioning. So I believe that when you, uh, when a public work is commissioned, they always speak about the, um, the client, which I find uh, misguided because the, the audience is myself. I'm a representative of uh, a tax paying body. And um, so I'm making the work for myself. And believe me, the work will be much better if I'm making it for myself than if I'm making it for a corporation. So that's one way to get around that problem. Um, the work is a series of sunrises and sunsets. It was a commission for uh, the Port of Miami by uh, Virgin Cruise Lines. So 100% an absolute corporation. Um, but, I, but I did, there's a couple things that happened. Um, I began the work with, uh, 
uh, a residency out in the Everglades for a month, um, and it was um, very boring. And, and uh, what I did see, though, with the big superstar, of course, is the sun rising and setting. And so, you know, when you feel very hopeless, uh, I don't know what you do, but I, I big picture it. So this, this is a very, very big picture, a deep, broad, uh, historical, cosmic picture of, of where we are in time and place. And, um, and, and just trying to sort of map understanding of that. So what happens is the sun rises and it sets. It's filmed on 35 millimeter with a, with a long lens. So it's very big, it's huge. You're immersed and, um, and I did, I made it for the commissioning body, the client of myself with money from the corporation. And, uh, and then I've been recycling that footage. So uh, well, uh, I have this image up here. This is it? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. this is cut into strips, the image cut into strips. The LED uh, screens are very expensive. Oh, they're LED screens. Sorry. So, uh, so this is to um, deal with the, the, the real estate, the footprint of the LED screen to sort of minimize uh, the cost of the actual LED. And, um, and, you know, finding some balance between um, what's possible and just, and yeah, and, and making the work. So, well, yes. And then the, a month of Sundays, all this 35 millimeter film is then recycled for other work. That's how I deal with it. Right. And I'm it's, trying um, to find, you know, and it, and it goes back, you could say like, uh, yes, it is uh, a cruise, but it's also Neolithic's uh, sun gazing. So, um, it's, it goes, it goes, it goes far back. It is the present, but, uh, but for me, it also reaches to the way, way back. Okay. Well, you were starting to talk about recycling the imagery for your own work. And this is yet still another work that appeared in public in Italy last summer. So can we talk, this is an indoor space. There's a, many things in this image that speak to what you've been up to. Yeah, Oops, it's, it's, uh, a, sorry. it's a, a Baroque church in northern Italy in a town of Cremona where they make violins. So it's a town that understands vibration. And, um, and so, yes, the, the, the footage was recycled to make uh, uh, this image in the middle is the Vesica Pisces. So it's the halo, but it's also the symbol for the vagina. So, you know, it's a twofer. It's great. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so to, to be practical, the, there are 35 millimeter film screens that are overlapped in the middle as if you're crossing your eyes and, um, and you enter this other space. So it's immersive. You enter into a color field. And you also walk the labyrinth below. So, you know, the sun spirals on the, the y-axis and we walk the x-axis. So there's what we can see. And there's what we don't see. So the sun sets, where does it go? So we know it goes into a place where we don't see. It goes under the ground. It goes into the water. So we have to think about this. We have to think about what the unconscious is. We have to think about the earth as a body. And, um, and we have to metabolize that knowledge. Well... Uh, on, here's another labyrinth that you've made. We'll talk about it in a minute, but the labyrinth is, you know, certainly a, 
a, a, a sort of groundwork for a, 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 a lot of what you've been doing lately with your art, but it's also, let's think about the labyrinthine process of making a public artwork. So, Hank, uh, so this piece I'm familiar with because it's in New York, it's in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, what, this is called Unity. It is in downtown Brooklyn. It's there forever, as far as I know. This is a bronze, yes? Oops. Uh, and what did it take to get this? A single uh, well, artwork by a single artist into a very busy area of downtown Brooklyn, New York. Well, this is a funny story. Well, it's a, I was asked to be a commissioner on the Public Design Commission, which is the Art Commission for the City of New York. At the same time that I was a finalist, where my then-girlfriend was on the selection committee <laughs> for a public art project. Um, and so I guess I pulled some strings cosmically, uh, and then, um, uh, eventually I had to, now my wife, Rujeko Hockley, who just spoke. <laughs> um, and then I, um, uh, made a proposal, which it got accepted and then rejected, but it was too late cause they'd already accepted it. And then I had to basically come up with another proposal that they might accept again while also being on the committee with the people who were accepting it. What was, so, what was the one that was rejected? It was based off of this incredible concept around um, this amazing photo photograph of the Brooklyn Bridge being built. And I really want, was wanted to commemorate the workers of the, who, who built the bridge. But uh, it was seen as too, too, uh, too risky because kids would climb up it, maybe fall into the highway and die. So... I came up with this concept, which based off of a photograph of Metal Arc Lemon of the Harlem Globe Globetrotters standing in front of the Statue of Liberty, spinning a basketball on his finger, mimicking the torch. And I thought about liberty being uh, that their correlation between the way in which sports was an avenue for liberty for so many, uh, and still is for so many people all over the world. And uh, the concept of people all over the world coming here in search of liberty and uh, got um, Joel Embiid, who's now the center for the Philadelphia 76ers, to allow us to 3D scan his arm. And I thought I was really excited about this idea of being able to put a giant arm to an African immigrant giant bronze in uh, downtown Brooklyn. Well, how tall is this? this oh, is we should describe it for those who are feet. not seeing, but only Yeah, this it's a 22 foot round yeah. sculpture. Uh, with a man's arm pointing towards the sky, in with the middle one, of, one finger, with one point, finger, not the middle, the middle of, finger uh, <laughs> uh, of a, a major street in downtown Brooklyn, across at the at the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge. Has uh, has there been any the one risky thing for public artworks is that they are frequently vandalized or defaced. No, also mm -hmm. this was a five-year process, which is another mm -hmm. thing, and so. Um, and the percent for art um, mm -hmm. for the construction of the street dictate the how much the commission cost. So um, it was produced, and then there was an issue with a building across the way that 
was spraying something that was changing the color of the sculpture. So actually the only vandalism was a byproduct of uh, <laughs> uh, gentrification. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> That's ironic. Yeah. <laughs> but also not actually not surprising. Right. <laughs> Uh, but it must when when you have to work with the, any kind of municipal body, uh, it may be simpler to work for a single corporation. I don't know, but you're dealing with city commissioners and permits and workers and any number of people who aren't actually involved in art at all and and not and. and who will object for all the wrong reasons. Uh, do you personally have to run interference with any of this or was that left to the commissioners of the artwork? Well, we had to get approved by the community board and there was a lot, you know, the downtown business development uh, organization. Uh, my father, uh, who's here, Hank oh. Thomas, um, has been in real estate development for a long time and is taught me a lot about those kinds of complications. And my mother, Deborah Willis, who's here, is a art historian and a curator. I saw the resemblance. Who, yeah, we look a lot alike. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they both of them have mastered navigating systems and I've gotten to watch them do that for a long time. Yeah, hold the mic. Yeah. Yeah, have, have you learned the term? I learned what back channeling was. Yeah. <laughs> That's um that's a good one. Yeah. Because people do not want other people to talk to each other. Right. And it's very divisive. Yeah. And you have to simply uh have some FaceTime and talk things through. And for some reason it's a real sort of controlling situation. Yeah. But anyway, so I've learned to back channel. Uh, well and and also being on a commission for five years, I got to see how much goes on behind the scenes <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh there's a lot of concern about having the community upset for good reason uh but there's also a lot of room once you understand that to push the limits of that because what a city organization or a politician might say is too risky is very different than what the community might say is too risky exactly that's what i was thinking when i asked the question yeah. uh I, I think even if it's a commission, I mean, it, usually it seems to me, having spoken to other artists who've done public artworks, like this one in Brooklyn, is that it's a money-losing proposition in the end because it takes too long and you have to go through all these things and yeah. costs mount. And uh, so you have to really want to do a public artwork apart from the work of your that happens in your studio every day. That's not going to be shown or sold in a gallery or shown in a museum. Um, what is the impulse for you, for each of you, to want to make work in public? What uh, I, I, what Dara does is a little more ephemeral, I would say. That what, but even though it's permanent, uh, we'll get to that. The, the labyrinths in a garden. Uh, and, and that is really for individual, well, groups of people can do it, but we'll get into that in a minute. What's prompting you to want to engage with this labyrinth of 
voices and ideas uh, for your art. So I think it probably takes a lot of time away from your family and your other art. Well, I so I like to say, and I rarely say in front of them, uh, that but my parents were part of that first generation of African Americans who actually had their own opportunity of true self-determination. And that generation did a lot that their parents could never have imagined doing. And because of that, I, and because of their bravery and courage and creativity, I was able to follow in their footsteps and things that seem unlikely and impossible or things that are normal. So if my dad's been making things in the earth for since before I was born and my mother has been channeling so many things through space and time to, to show art since before I was born, I get to weave that into my practice, which is what public art is. So you were born into it. Yeah. More or less. So this is one thing art can do is make artists. Yeah. Out of what came before. That's true. <laughs> art can make artists. Mm -hmm. Yes. Darling. Yes. <laughs> uh, Let's uh, talk about this uh, current project you're engaged in in uh, Buffalo, New York, River Hill, which is another labyrinth. This is under construction, more or less. It's a garden and it's growing. It won't really come into itself until the spring. Um, so why? why? We, well, why? And you're engaged with another community entirely. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, the Seneca Nation. The Seneca Nation. So, yes. So I sli slipped into making public works um, because of political engagement, because I wanted to learn how to win. I was like, okay, there's a lot at stake here. I just want to learn how to win. I want to learn how to debate better. I just, I want to win. And then what happened was, is that... Um, I was introduced to Aikido by a, a, a uh, artist friend, Spencer Sweeney. And he learned through the wisdom of uh, Morikai Oshiba that if you really truly want to win, no one else can lose. So, yeah, exactly. If you really want to win, no one else can lose. That's right. So you don't play a zero-sum game of winner and, winners and losers. You play for win-win. You play for conflict resolution. And so I start to study this conflict resolution and run workshops with students, and um, and it's real. So I mean, I had to quit. So anyway, so so what happens when you practice uh, when you don't play a zero sum game? When you refuse to divide us into winners and losers, uh, you are forced. Well, you're not forced, but if you want to practice this, you have to see the situation from the other person's point of view, right? So you either have to sort of take them and move them to see your, your perspective. You have to move yourself to see things from their perspective, or you have to practice confluence and come to a third point of view. And so, and this is a physical practice. So when I was introduced to the, uh, the labyrinth, which but from my mother, so I appreciate very much that your mother is here. Um, and it's an ancient sacred healing practice that's, uh, that has these pivots in it that has these pivots, these points where you turn and you literally physically move your body, you wind and unwind, and you see the world around you, inner and outer, 
from the reverse perspective. And it takes practice to build this muscle memory. So that's where I'm coming to it from. And, um, you know, in order to, as you said before, in order to learn something, you have to, we know that our, our body has intelligence and we have to learn it on a physical level. So I got into this. Yeah. Well, you bring up one thing I wanted to talk about, which was uh, public engagement, physical interaction with the work, which is different from looking at an artwork in a gallery where you're mostly a passive viewer. Uh, and uh, in, in mo a lot of public art is a monument. It's a, you know, memorializing some figure or event. And people, it's just their bird shit on it. People forget who that is. It disappears from current consciousness. Uh, but it's, uh, if you're physically engaging, it's sort of guaranteed to have another life, even if the work itself isn't there forever well you're dealing with space you know these sort of den monuments take up space just like some people take up oxygen in a room right and then and then but uh but the other time you know sculptures do one thing they they are where they are but then there's all the space when they're where they're not which is very what their their purpose is to activate that space and what i do in the labyrinths is hold hold space for other people for them to be able to tell themselves their story so you know I mean, yes, we want to affect change, absolutely. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we need to remember and again and again that we are individuals. We're not massive groups. We are groups. Of course, we're groups, but we're groups of individuals. And that, uh, you know, in order to, to sort of flip this, this sort of consciousness, we, we have to do it with ourselves, truly. And, yes. uh, and so anyway, so, so I come to this, this physical uh, movement in the space of um, wanting to win and learning that if you really want to win, no one else can lose. That's uh, almost a foreign concept uh, to most people, I think. Uh, yeah, we've seen. Yes, yeah. but that's because we need because it's it's wrong because we that's exactly what we're all trying to do here is change this paradigm so that we do not see each other as winners and losers right and wrong it's just not it's just not true i mean it's just and and it's um it's it's you're guaranteed to lose <laughs> you know great you can knock someone down they're just going to get up and like knock you down you haven't won the anything so uh, yeah, we do have to school our minds. In order to school our minds, we need to school our bodies. And um, yeah, I, I think that's how it, that's for me is, is uh, a way to move forward. And as you were saying, your parents are here. I mean, I ha also have children and, I'm, not, and uh, I'm a child of artists. And how many children? I have two girls. Oh, and, uh, and they do, you can grow change. I mean, you're proof positive of that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You can grow change. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah we ahead. can talk about that. Go ahead. Talk about growing change. Because you were talking about the aesthetics of social justice? No, I don't remember. Well, there was something that we were talking about. Of the public art. The aesthetics yeah. of public yeah. art. Yeah. And I was going to ask, you know, and, and this, this idea of like, what's the work of the work? And so I'd ask if the aesthetics, what is the action verb of the aesthetic? 
We also have with us Eric Gottesman, who with Hank Willis Thomas has founded uh, Four Freedoms. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more. Go ahead. Wanted to, Thanks. Eric, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think I was so interested in, in your description of confluence as a way to reframe thinking about what winning looks like. Mm -hmm. And whatever that verb is of coming together, whether that's love or whether that's um, uh, merging, you know, there's this there's this idea that the individual voice is alienated from others like in, in order for that to be heard it has to stand out in some way but there does also seem it, i think in what you're saying about reframing what is winning what is confluence there's a rebalancing of what it means for us to exist like together and separately that's you know? right winning is peace peace is, is is has the ultimate value i mean you know come on Something we don't have. My own contention is that no one ever wins war. No, not, no one. There's everyone loses. No, you you lose so, from the get go. Yeah. So art can change that. But, but that's but that's also really difficult. Like yeah. the, the world is set up with structures that is written that makes it very challenging to to. It's difficult, but it is. But it can work. So initiating something that can fail, that's more difficult than initiating something that could succeed. Well, it's this issue of interaction of public engagement, this is what Four Freedoms is about, is uh, for artists to uh, take actions, not just make images. So I want to talk about this billboard which you chose this phrase that is uh, uh, now uh, identified with, I can't even say, but a certain Republican former president. And, uh, uh, it, and it's, this was during the campaign, was it during the presidential campaign? When it's, and the image on the billboard is sure from is. what? So um, the billboard was put up in Mississippi in 2016. It said, "Make America Great Again," and on. Oh, it is. Is that so? It's a historical. The whole thing. What'd you say? That's it, a historical. The photograph the is text. from March seventh, uh, nineteen sixty-five, known uh -huh. uh, as Bloody Sunday, where uh, oh, John right. Lewis who, yeah, yeah. and and Reverend Josiah Williams were facing down the powers that be in the form of the Alabama State Troopers, um, right. and they. We're both attempting to make America great, yet some using brutality and violence and some using dignity, peace, and love. And so the question that about, well, the, I was, I've always been fascinated with the power of the media to get us to believe and talk about things that actually are not, not only not true, but that we don't even really care about. And <laughs> the fact that Donald Trump was one of, five American presidents consecutively to say, make America great again. Um, and all of a sudden under him, it meant something that it didn't mean for the other five previous presidents. And that $2 billion was spent in that election campaign. And no one asked the most obvious question, which was when was America greater than it is now? And if you ask that question, the answer is obviously never. 
there's never been a better America than this very moment. And I believe that the best next best America will be in the next moment. And the more that we are intentional about creating and acknowledging and welcoming that, that moment, the greater we can become. So that's really kind of what, I mean, that's what I, and, and some of that, the, the tensions that you were talking about earlier between creating public art and what, who you're making it for, who is the client. If we start to expand what we think of as art and start to think about everything in public architecture, media, um, language, children, children, education, you know, uh, even just children as art. Yeah. He collaborated. He did a billboard with his daughter. Yeah. Okay, so you know. Yes. Yeah. Then, then I mean, in expanding that, there there are these lessons about how how to um, recalibrate, um, you know, what 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 the power of the individual voice is and what the power of collaboration can be. So, how did four freedoms? I heard you know Hank has told us you know his family history and how directed he was toward this realm how did four freedoms formed out of what before we started to talk we were talking among ourselves you called it a performance so i'd well, like to hear a little bit more still hank's that. family history because we we, <laughs> we started this at debolis's black portraitures conference um in 2014 15 15 in florence and um and we were we were kind of talking about we had been we had been friends for 20 years and had been talking about um you know how art and politics exists on an expanded spectrum um that they kind of actually are one in the same and overlap in a lot of ways uh and so we were thinking about what it would look like for artists to engage political processes as a medium um and direct action as a medium of art making and what it would look like if we began to imagine ourselves as citizens, as human beings, as, um, as creative inherently in how we engage with the systems and structures that, are, that surround us. That was May 2015 before um, Donald Trump announced he was running for president. And uh, we, we also have Dr. Cheryl Finley who put that together and Aja Monet who it was there speaking uh, and what happens for us is that we get to be around so many brilliant people we've traveled the world together uh making art and doing art and basically what eric and i noticed is like how come the rest of the world doesn't get to see what we get to see because we had seen, seen a panel i don't remember what it was and we were like walking like wow and they were like why don't we do why don't we do this more out in the public why don't we invite like as artists our job it's we should make sure that other people get to see what we see. So we decided to do Four Freedoms. We decided, we didn't know how we wanted to do it, but we wondered what it would be like if we decided to perform uh, being political operatives. And it started with uh, us telling somebody in the art world that we were going to uh, start a the first ever artist run Super PAC. We said that without doing any research as to whether or not that was true. Uh, and then we got Erica Tai. And bought him some new shoes for the first time in 10 years, it seems. And uh, posed for some photos. And we looked legit. And then uh, the New York Times called and said, oh, you're the first artist run Super PAC. And we said, yes, we are. 
and what are you doing? And we said, uh, we're going to be, uh, we made something up, but then, then we ended up working with hundreds and thousands, you know, thousands of artists across the country and hundreds of institutions, um, and engaging people in this collaborative art making process, um, which, well, which is a reflection of, I think, a belief that we share, which is that no artist makes artwork alone. It's, it's all yeah. a collaborative. And, and I just want to say that really, the, literally the way Four Freedoms was built was reporters would ask us questions and we would answer them and we'd say, <laughs> yeah. And so it was really fascinating to actually have the rationalizing this kind of performance be the thing that made it that we had to keep going. Because people would say, what are you doing next? And we were like, oh, we didn't, we, like when, after the election, we had no plans of doing anything else. <laughs> well, let's come up to the present then. Now, sure. It's uh, this week, uh, Four Freedoms, it's, well, actually, let's come up to the this very moment. You were talking about the media and why aren't artists, you know, why can't they be part of this conversation? So now you've co-opted the news media itself with uh, there's at the entrance to the sphere today, there's an iteration of Four Freedoms TV News, which is basically a TV news show like or one of those looks a little like one of those sport shows where the so-called experts on a particular sport like the World Cup are standing around talking and uh, avoiding the political issues at the World Cup. Uh, where is uh, that broadcasting to? And uh, what are you talking about uh, today? Uh, there, there was an action in New York, or actually it's going on, of Eyes on Iran, which is uh, bringing some attention and pressure uh, on the United Nations and other political bodies to, you know, support the protesters uh, in Iran, the women who are being killed and arrested for being women, basically. And uh, so what's coming out of this now for, for freedoms? Is, is it uh, generating some real energy? And if this is an art, this it involves actual artworks by artists that are being uh, installed in the park across the United Nations in New York. So, yeah, so we've thought for a long time that artists should have a seat at every table, and um, especially in the in the news media, which so shapes our discourse on the large scale and the small scale, and how we talk and think about things. So, um, but we've also, you know, while we while we think artists should have a seat at every table, we also are not, um, you know. We want everybody to imagine themselves as artists, and so people who, right now, we're we're kind of experimenting with what what it would look like if artists made the news rather than just became sort of um, subjects of the news or um, Great idea. and 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 so you know like, but uh, it's also a call to people who currently work as journalists to like embrace their creative side in the work that they do. Because I think a lot of the, a lot of the things that we see within how, especially broadcast media journalism, some of the excesses is people not really accessing that creative side, but kind of pursuing a business model that looks, um, that leads down, you know, an unfortunate road. I see a lot of TV journalists not thinking for themselves and simply repeating what's been told to them uh, it's kind of uh, 
what you were saying, Dara, you know, you have to make a space for people to think and feel and experience um, both sides of an issue. Um, I think it's been a real failure of uh, the press. I'm uh, being a member of that body. It's a little embarrassing. And uh, (laughs) I'm very glad to see you doing that. Um, Hank, you have a new project also, which will be unveiled in just a couple of weeks, a few weeks, early in January. This is in Boston Common, and it kind of looks, I mean, you seem to have straddled both, you know, public art and personal, because it it looks like one of your, could be, have come out of your studio, but this was a commission, and it is a memorial to um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King, but it's it's really different <laughs> as a memorial sculptures. It's not figures. It is uh, it's called embrace, and uh, it's there. There are two arms in an embrace, but they also look, at least in the picture, maybe not in person, that they're wrestling with each other. It's like a wrestler's stance. They're, the sculpture is amazing construction. They're rest, it's standing on their elbows. So, but it's really powerful just in a JPEG and a rendering the way we're seeing it here. Uh, and it's, it looks enormous, bigger than Unity in Brooklyn. Uh, and it's bronze and it will always be there maybe always, because we've seen what's happened in the last few years, that many monuments all, uh, in different countries have come down that were there forever. They're meaningless or they meant something really objectionable. So how do you think this is going to fare? I mean, I think it's great now, and it's sort of abstract. So in a way you can, I suppose that was deliberate. It, it kind of guarantees its permanence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I learned from sitting on the public design commission for five years. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, so I, I this so the embrace is a monument to two monumental lovers, Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King, who uh, are an example of what it happens when two people choose to come together, and they recognize the power of that. And so they met as young students at. Uh, in Boston, uh, studying and on their first date, uh, or many, they went to Boston Common. And uh, this monument is just steps away from places where they actually walked in as refugees from the segregated South in the segregated North uh, with uh, the whole uh, wealth of generational uh, trauma and also generational uh, strength, and uh, they decided to embrace one another, and we are living in the ripple effect of that love. And that after he was assassinated, she carried on the legacy and uplifted him in ways that he probably could never have achieved on his own as a human being. And the fact that for nearly a half a century after he died, not only did this widow uh, raise three, four children. Uh, but also um, she literally uplifted a generation and, and made things that were unthinkable possible. Was this a, a competition or a commission? This were was you a invited? Commission. 
Um, by whom? But but, but it, it it was creativity again. Uh, uh, entrepreneur named Paul English who created Kayak.com uh, found out that Dr. Martin Luther King went to his university, I believe, and then also was from Boston and uh, decided and heard that the city had wanted to do something acknowledging him, but Boston is notoriously uh, a complicated city when it comes to acknowledging the humanity of people of African descent. And uh, that was something that uh, I guess a rich white man was able to encourage others to see. And so he did that. And all of a sudden the city got on board and millions of dollars were raised by a host of other people. And there was a public art commission that was out competition. There were 125 applications and uh, me and a mass design group, an incredible uh, design architecture firm uh, were awarded the commission. Yeah, I, I just wanted to ask you a question. Could you speak to the process of healing with, with the, the yeah. I'd love to hear you speak to the process of healing. Well, Dara said something interesting to me the other day when we were talking that nothing could start until their healing has begun. Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, the, uh, I mean, it, it does seem that your work is uh, Suggesting this, it, it, it's talking about love, yeah, and so you know, thinking about. Well, it's anyway. also people on well, opposite sides coming together to do one thing together to support be this. You won't be surprised yeah. to know what's the name of our our next Four Freedoms campaign, uh, Citizens Guide for Healing. All right. <laughs> so, uh, which you know, we did not recognize, and that. So, I guess yet the embrace would be a great way to start. The Citizen's Guide to Healing. So thank you for, for that. That's how, we, that's how we do art. I was feeling it. Um, but then I also wanted to ask you, because we did come up with this term perform performance, and you talked about coming into this in 2015. And it was about the time, I was in 2015 on a, visiting a lot of powwows, trying to understand what that was about and film it. And what I realized that these uh, powwows are actually healing ceremonies and falsely understood as performances. And I just want to say, you know, you, we just sort of, sort of like tossed out this term performance. And I just want to kind of underline that healing is not performative. So, you know, that, that again, back to this individual, as you were saying. Well, um, it's funny you would say that because another part of our practice is passing the mic. And so we always pass the mic. You will come and speak for a moment. You will come and speak for a moment. So I, on this person's hands, it says love and riot. Um, and so healing is something that Aja speaks a lot about. And I invite you to just, you can either read a poem or just say something real quick about this. I'm not reading a poem. All right. Um, Hi. Because healing's not performative. Yeah, because she's mean. She's like, I don't, I don't love these people. I'm not going to read a poem. <laughs> Why would I do that as a poet? First of all, I'm not mean. I have boundaries. Uh -huh. There's a difference. Um, hi, everyone. Hello. Can nice you introduce to see you. yourself with your name? My name is Aja. Aja Monet. I'm a poet. 
and I'm just a lovely fan and friend of this incredible family and uh, incredible collective for freedoms. Um, you did a billboard. I did a billboard for freedoms. It said. Um, what did it say? Oh, what are you willing to sacrifice for freedom, right? Or something like that. Something like that. Um, and yeah, that I don't know what that, why you brought that up. But we talk about healing. Oh, well, for, for me, healing is kind of performative. Um, I don't know. I think like everything has some element of performance. And I think Judith Butler and feminist scholars would tell us that or have been trying to tell us that that a lot of the things that we do are in some way shape or form uh, an act of theater and that we all perform who we think we are we perform identity we perform uh, gender we perform race that these are things that we believe have a certain kind of gesture in the world um, and there are when you when you at least as someone that's from indigenous or African traditions, when you go to heal, there are a series of actions that you take, which um, in some ways feel like rehearsals. And I think of someone like Theater of the uh, Augusto Boal talks about Theater of the Oppressed and um, the ways that we can rehearse for revolution. And I think you can rehearse for healing in the same way and you can create if people, if people pretend to do something enough, they become it. And so even if you don't actually think that you're setting out to heal, if you, if you believe it and you pretend to be healing, uh, eventually I think you'll heal. I don't know. Well, I, I have to say <laughs> Four Freedoms has a historical antecedent in uh, ACT UP. For sure. Which came of the AIDS crisis. And uh, Grand that, Fury as well. And Grand Fury. And the pink ribbons and kissing doesn't kill. These are, you know, used advertising methods to get a message out because there was, there still isn't a vaccine for AIDS. And look how fast they came up with a COVID vaccine because it was a, it began with a disparaged, I would say, population. Uh, and so uh, artists, artists took the lead to establish first for protests and then to raise money, not for a cure, but for research, for healing. And now, look, you know, people are living with AIDS where they were dying a few months after being infected before. I mean, I, my generation was decimated by it. And those artists were really important to me and gave me but it's also inspired a lot of other public art for healing <laughs> and change. So, I mean, I, artists, I think, you know, I mean, it's part why I'm engaged in the art world. Just uh, artists uh, think in ways because they're free to think in more creative ways that it's a wonder to me that our policymakers don't realize what a resource of creative thinking and imagination this is. And here are four freedoms, your work in uh, Buffalo with the labyrinth uh, that is uh, planted and will grow into something. Uh, I, I, someday it'll change. 
and we'll have a different world that is imagined, starts with imagination and not money and politics. That's my piece. Uh, yeah, no, to, to modify that, it's, it, I agree with you. It's doing private things publicly. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you for so joining. much for this incredible. Thank you all. It's been really interesting and uh, 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 illuminating and elevating. And uh, I, I was kind of a mess when I came here, and I'm healed. So Aww. thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you. thank you to Herclique and Untitled, and carry the message. <laughs>